Good afternoon. Please turn your copy of scriptures to 1st John chapter 5. 1st John chapter 5. That will be near the last page pages of uh, the Bible. And we will be reading from verses 1 to 5. 1st John chapter 5 verses 1 to 5. Hear now the living and abiding words of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray one more time. Our Father and our God, we praise and thank you for this time and opportunity that we will look once again into your holy words. We pray that you would be pleased to open our eyes to see your Son, Jesus, that we may treasure and embrace him as our Lord and Savior. Father, we ask the Holy Spirit to regenerate those who are not yet been born again and to steer the hearts of those who have been made alive in Jesus to worship, serve, and be grateful towards you. We ask all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. George Wilfield is one of the well-known preacher evangelists of the 18th century. In his preaching, he gives priority on the doctrine of regeneration or on the imperative that the Lord Jesus himself told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 3, 5, and 7, where Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Whitfield keeps on preaching the need for people to be born again, so much so that one of his friends asked him, George, why is it that you preach so often upon the text, you must be born again? In which Whitfield replied, while staring at him because... You must be born again. Our passage this afternoon from 1 John chapter 5 speaks of signposts or tests whereby one could know that he has been born again. It is important for us to know whether we have been born again since the Lord Jesus himself told us that unless one is so, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God unless one is born again. That means there is no other way whereby people could see and enter the kingdom of God other than being born again. In other words, no one would be right before God. No one would be saved unless he has this experience. Our state in eternity is at stake here. Whether you will be eternally damned under the wrath of God or eternally blessed into His presence, the question then is, have you been born again? Have you been born again? Our passage will help us with a signpost or test to know 
whether indeed we are born of God. So the plan uh, this afternoon is to answer the following questions. Number one, how could we know that we have been born again? Or what are the evidence or proofs of this experience? Then number two, briefly, how can we be born again? So many of the church fathers and Bible scholars believe that whoever wrote the fourth gospel, that is John, the beloved, one of the twelve apostles or disciples, is the same person who authored this letter because of its similarities. The usage of languages and themes are quite similar. Although the letter does not have all the elements of the Greco-Roman letter, since it does not have the opening salutation, which contains the name of the writer, the recipient's name, and a greeting as well as the final greetings and farewell, Bible scholars believe that the author intended it to be a letter because repeatedly you would read the author saying, I am writing these things, or I write to you. Hence, this uh, book is considered to be an epistle, uh, epistle or a letter. The recipients may not be named, uh, however, we can feel from the letter that they are dear to him as he constantly addresses them as little children or beloved. In almost every pages or every chapter of this letter, you would hear John telling or addressing his uh, reader, my little children or beloved. Then from, from these observations, we can safely say that the author is John the Beloved, and he is writing to those whom he has been ministering the Word of God. And like the Gospel of John, uh, John had clearly mentioned why he is writing this letter. He mentioned it in several passages, like in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, where he uh, said in different uh, uh, group of people why he is writing these letters. Like in verse 12, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Then he writes to the fathers. He writes to the young men. He writes to the children. He writes to the fathers. In, in different uh, reasons. In chapter 2, verse 26, he said, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And in chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John writes this letter so that his readers would know that they have eternal life. John writes this letter so that his reader would know that they have eternal life, to encourage his readers not to sin and that their joy would be complete. If somehow you read this letter and these things didn't happen to you, then you are reading it wrongly. So let us now go into our text. Verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. According to this verse, who are those who had been born of God? Everyone who believes that 
Jesus is the Christ. The first signpost is belief. Belief in Jesus as the Christ. The question then that you should carefully ask yourself is, what do you believe about Jesus? Or the old English King James Version would say, what think ye of Christ? What think ye of Christ? One of the reasons why John wrote this letter is to repute the false teachers with which he called the Antichrist. In, uh, he said, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. In chapter uh, 2, verses 21 to 25, he said, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. The one who denies that Jesus is the Christ is a liar and the Antichrist. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. The truth about Jesus is directly connected with the promise of eternal life. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. It is important that we have the right understanding of who Jesus is so for eternal life. What, what is it that we need to believe about Jesus? According to the text that we just read, Jesus is the Christ. Then in chapter 4, Verses 2 to 3, we could read, By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. What is it that we need to believe about Jesus according to this text? That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Then in chapter 5, verse 20, we could read, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. In these passages, we see Jesus as the Christ with whom the promise of eternal life was made. Jesus has come in the flesh and that Jesus is the true God and eternal life. Those who believe that Jesus is such has been born of God. Do you believe this? Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Anointed One. First John is saturated with this truth. In First John 1, 7, His blood purifies us from all sin. In First John chapter 2, Verses 1 to 2, He is the propitiation for our sins. It said, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for us only, but also for the sins of the whole world. First John chapter 3, verse 16 said, 
that Jesus laid down His life for us. 1 John 3, 8, He destroys the work of the devil through His death. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 3.23 that all have seen and fall short of the glory of God. Then in Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. All have seen and all are under God's wrath. We have offended and despised the holy God who created us for His glory. Sin is such an offense to the supreme, sovereign, holy God. Sin is despising God, our maker, and our sustainer. The problem is there is nothing we can do to appease the wrath of God. Nothing we can do to satisfy His justice. Since we know both by experience and by the revelation of the words of God that we are sinners through and through. What does God require of us? What does God demanded of us? That we love Him with all our souls, our hearts, our minds, and our strength, and that we love our neighbors as ourselves every day and every minute of our lives. And we failed. We failed. We know we failed. God demands perfect obedience, yet we lie, we combat, we get angry sinfully, we lust, we slander people, we gossip, we set aside what God wants just to follow our heart's desires. We find joy and satisfaction in any other places but God. We know, that we, we know the right things to do and don't do it. We disobey God's command in so many ways and in so many times. God's wrath must be appeased. There is a need for propitiation. Romans 3, 25 2425 said that we could be justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Jesus was put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Now, why would Jesus be the proper propitiation? Why would Jesus be the right and sufficient sacrifice that can remove God's wrath and satisfy His justice. John told us in the text above that Jesus is the true God that has come in the flesh. Jesus is the true God that has come in the flesh. Jesus is God incarnate. He is God who became flesh and dwells among us. John said in the beginning verses of this letter, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, with our eyes which we look upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. The life was made manifest. In the Gospel of John, he said, In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In him was life. Then he said in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwells among us. Jesus is God who became flesh or who became human. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became flesh and dwells among us, lived a perfect life obedient and pleasing to the Father, died an excruciating death on the Roman cross, 
taking upon himself our sins, absorbing the full wrath of God, satisfying his justice through his shed blood, and rose again from the dead on the third day, so that sinners like you and me who believe in him and repent of our sins would not perish, but have eternal life. Those who are born of God believes that is accept, embrace Jesus to be the Christ with whom the eternal life was promised. This is the Jesus who is being believed upon in this text. So what are the necessary effects of believing Jesus to be the Christ? So when you believe on Jesus as the Christ, there must be something that would happen to you. When you encounter the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, there must be an impact. It's like when you are hit by a big truck. It's impossible that there will be no change or impact when you are hit by a big truck. I, live, I, I grew up in a village, and the only big truck we know is a 10-wheeler. So the, the illustration that I always hear is when you are hit by a 10-wheeler. Now driving in the roads of Muhammad bin Sayyid, I, I could see even 24-wheelers or even more. The point is, if you are hit by something so uh, big like a big truck, there must be an impact. There must be a change. Look at the text with me again in verses 1 to 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. There is love for the Father and love for those who are also being born of God. Loving the children of God because we love God will result into a glad or joyous keeping of God's commandment. There is so much that goes on in the heart of those who believe in Jesus. His affection for God and His commandments and for others had changed. Before, He doesn't care about God or His words. His love for others is marked with selfish reasons. He thinks of what he can get out of it. Before when we sinned, he is not before when he sinned, he is not grieved by it. But now he mourns over his sin. The God he once ignored and despised, he now loves and treasure. He now love, he now loves to obey God's command. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. What God's command does John have in mind when he said, we love God and obey His commands. What commandments that John has in mind? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, we could read, And this is His commandments, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. As we have already pointed out, believing in Jesus results into loving God. 
when we obey the command to believe on Jesus, that also means that we are obeying the command to love God with all our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength. I can boldly say, if your faith in Jesus does not produce in you the love for God, then it is not true faith. Again, your affection for God must change when you believe in Jesus. And love for God would result into loving others. That is why Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Those who have been born again now loves the brethren. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. This love is manifested in how he cares and looks after the needs of others. He is now going beyond himself. Throughout John's letter, there are many ways by which we can show practically how to love one another. For example, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 and 7, we could read, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. Brothers and sisters, we are called into the community of believers. We now belong to the household of God. That is why we should not neglect the gathering of the saints with the aim of stirring up one another to love and good works. We are called to exhort one another daily that none of us may be hardened by deceitfulness. Fellowship would be one of the surest mark that we love one another. Investing our lives to other, with other people in the church would be one of the surest mark that we love the brethren. In John chapter 5, verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. And I be translated it as, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. We should pray and confront those brothers and sisters who are sinning. Brothers, we should be able to see and invest our lives to the lives of others in the church. We are called into a community of believers. We belong to the household of God. Another way of loving is mentioned in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the words, goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Did you hear that? The, the text says we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John is saying, if you have the means and the resources, share it with those who are in need. We as Christians should be willing 
to suffer for the sake of other believers in the Lord. We have so many examples from the Bible of these sacrifices made for others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the churches in Macedonia, out of their affliction and extreme poverty, had generously gave for the needs of suffering Christians in Jerusalem. Out of their affliction, severe afflictions, extreme poverty, they gave generously for the need of Christians in Jerusalem. And also in Hebrews chapter 10, where the Christians, despite the danger of being identified with those Christians who are in prison, cared for them. Being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. They are willing to lay down their lives for the brothers. They are willing to lay down their lives for the brothers. They are willing to lose everything. They accepted joyfully the plundering of their properties. When they go and visit a brother in prison to care for them, the danger is that they would be identified with these Christians and they themselves would be persecuted. Yet they do so. They do so. They love. They had compassion on them. They cared for them. And the text says they joyfully accepted it. Are you willing to be inconvenient and go out of your way to care for the brothers and sisters in need? Are you willing to cook for those who cannot, who cannot because of sickness or because their circumstances prevented them from doing that? Are you willing to take care of other people's, other people's kids so that their parents would have the time to be together? Brothers and sisters, we are called to lay down our lives. I would like to take this opportunity to thank all of you for your love and care for our family during this time that my wife has been sick. We praise and thank God for the brethren who had helped us and has been helping us during this time that uh, uh, my wife is still recovering. We felt the love and faithfulness of God through you, our brothers and sisters. In that, we thank God and we thank you. Have you been born again? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you love God? Do you desire to obey His words? Do you love other brothers and sisters in the Lord? Let's now look into another signpost. Uh, in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 5, we could read, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the word, and this is the victory that has overcome the word, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the word except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? According to these verses, who are those who, that have been born of God? They are those who by faith, that is, those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, overcome the word. How does it look like to overcome the word? What does John mean by word? In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, uh, we could read, Do not love the word or the things in the word. If anyone loves the word, the love of the Father is not in him. 
for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Those who had been born of God will no longer be slave of the world. This does not mean that he will no longer sin. Rather, he cannot continue sinning. Our relationship with sin had also changed. When we had an encounter with Jesus, when we have been born again, our relationship with sin must change or had changed. The sins we once loved, we now hate. Before we are slaves of sin, we are by nature sinners and we only act according to what our nature dictates. A lion by nature only eats meats. Even if you offer him the best vegetable and fruit salad there is, he wouldn't care. He doesn't have taste bad for it. But change his nature, make him a sheep, then his taste bad changes. His preferences changes. His likes and appetites changes. When one is born of God, a new nature, a godly nature is imparted. He has been made alive. He has been freed from the dominion of sin. Persian 2.29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Persian 3.9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. First John 5, 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Do you now hate sin? Do you now desire to live for God? Overcoming the world by faith means that we are now living God's way rather than submitting to the desire and priorities of the rebellious world. In 1 John 2.6, whoever say he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Please don't get it wrong. These things that we have looked at in the text are signposts or tests or evidence that you have already been born again. They are not the means by which you can be born of God. Doing all these things would not cause you to be born again. Having all these in your life are evidence or proof that you have been born of God. So with that, we will answer our second question. How can we be born again? When Jesus told Nicodemus that he must be born again, he said in chapter 3, verse 8 of John, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying born-again experience is something that is done to you outside of you. The wind blows where it wishes. You can hear it, but you can't see it. You see the effects, but you can't cause it. 
Born-again experience is the supernatural work of God in the heart of man. God Himself must act. He Himself must give life. Nicodemus asked the same question that you may have now. How can these things be? If it is God who causes someone to be born again, then what must I do? Listen to what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, verses 10 to 18. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus is saying, there is nothing you can do to be born again. It is God's work. As it is written in Ezekiel 36, the passage that Pastor Sam read for us, God will give a new heart and a new spirit. God himself will cause us to walk in his statutes and obey his rules. God himself will cleanse us. Though God must cause us to be born again, yet we are called to look upon Jesus, to believe in him, to repent of our sins. We have to look upon Jesus. So we must beg God for mercy until we know that we have clinged to Christ. We have begged God for mercy until we know that we believe that He is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, that we love God, His people, and His command, that we desire to live for Him. We must beg God for mercy until we know for sure that we have been born again. We must beg God for mercy until we had this experience. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, past bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That we could sing in our hearts with delight, with joy. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For Jesus' sake. Amen.